Kia ora. I'm your host, Benjamin Coffey, and this is P.I. Psy, a space for us to discuss the mental health of Pacific Islanders. I'll be delving into Polynesian perspectives, topics of identity, current issues, and ways that we as a global Polynesian community can move forward to being a happier, healthier, and stronger people together. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional counseling. We are not experts, nor should mine or my guests' words ever be thought of as speaking for all Pacific Islanders, but I hope you will appreciate the perspectives that each episode brings. This is just a platform for regular Polynesian people of all islands to come together and share our stories. For today's episode, I wanted to delve into the Kanaka Maoli of Hawaii, or the native Hawaiians. Before I begin, I just want to give a brief history of Hawaii, because it's one thing that I don't feel that enough people really appreciate, especially within the U.S., uh, regarding colonization of the Hawaiian people. As I discussed with Maori, Hawaiians are descendants of voyagers. We share a common uh, ancestry of sailors that traveled throughout the Pacific. Now, Hawaiians in particular really excelled with their uh, production of arts, their music, and had a very complex system for politics and society and the allocation of resources, uh, preservation of the land and fish and game. It twined religion, military, agriculture, fully encapsulated the entire society and culture uh, and attitudes. Uh, eventually, European settlers arrived in the 1700s and again introduced disease, which again wiped out a huge percentage of the Hawaiian population. The surviving population did continue, continue to work their land, and you know they actually prospered with exposure to other nations, establishing their own independent nation, then known as the Sandwich Isles. However, American plantation owners on the islands orchestrated a violent takeover and disposed the monarchy on the islands by allying with uh, the American military. So as America forcibly colonized the islands and uh, imprisoned the queen, uh, the plantation owners essentially took over most of uh, the islands of Hawaii and, in essence, destroyed the entire interconnected uh, societal structure that had been set up that, again, interwove everything from religion to political leadership to uh, resource allocation. Uh, this was all thrown out the window. And uh, since then, there's been... Again, absolutely disproportionate level of poverty that's faced the Hawaiian communities. The plantation owners then went on to bring in laborers from throughout the world, particularly uh, Asia. So you, that's why you'll also find a lot of native Hawaiians today have Japanese, Chinese, Filipino ancestry. Uh, because these cheap laborers that were brought in or you know occupied the same social demographic of again laborers out in the field uh, that Hawaiians did, and so they intermarried and uh, they became adopted into uh, the Hawaiian 
identity. Uh, one particularly salient issue for Hawaiian people is that because Hawaii is an absolutely beautiful place, absolutely gorgeous, amazing weather year-round, it attracts people from all over the world, it also means the cost of living is increased in Hawaii. It's property is far more difficult to come by. So you'll find many native Hawaiians are forced to leave their homes, their homeland on these islands, because they simply can't afford to live there anymore. And so we'll end up flying off to uh, mainland USA just in order to survive. Now, beyond that, there's also many other problems, uh, poor health outcomes with a great deal of stigma and reaching out to medical services as well as difficulty in getting uh, access to health services, um, particularly being able to afford them. And then that also has a bleed on effects into mental health as well. Research shows that Native Hawaiians suffer from staggering rates of negative mental health associated risk factors. Um, for example, Native Hawaiian children have high rates of being victims of abuse, often neglect, uh, youth suicide, ideation, attempts, and the death rates are highest among Native Hawaiians. Native Hawaiian women have a self-harm rate that's almost 9% higher than non-Native Hawaiian female peers. 20% uh, of Native Hawaiian mothers ages 20 and younger experience postpartum depression, which is 5% more frequently than non-Native Hawaiian mothers. And Native Hawaiian adults have the highest rate of self-evaluating their overall mental and physical health as not good. So they have a very, they are very conscious of their poor mental health. Depressive disorder among Native Hawaiian kupuna or elders is about 13% higher than what you'll find for other peoples throughout the state. Unfortunately, as is the trend within Polynesian communities, Native Hawaiians tend to underutilize existing mental health services. They seek therapy um, only f uh, after their illnesses have become severe and kind of as a last resort or emergency service. Leave treatment early. Uh, they do not complete the treatment plans. Now, there are a variety of reasons why this could be, um, but you know, as we've mentioned in, in previous episodes, there are issues with uh, the affordability and accessibility of these services, but when they are available, uh, there's also the problem of uh, the therapists or the helpers not being able to adequately appreciate the experiences and trauma that come with colonization and the loss of one's identity again very similar to what was experienced among maori and native americans as well 
Native Hawaiians saw the active repression of their culture, their language, their history, the destruction of their cultural practices and temples. Um, and as a result, you had entire generations that were ashamed to speak their language and refused to share what they had with the younger generations for fear that it would only bring further shame or harm upon uh, their children instead. So as a result, you have an entire, entire generations that yearned for access to their culture, but could not receive it. But lately, there have been major resurgences in the uh, Native Hawaiian culture. The values and beliefs um, have uh, received much greater appreciation um, and as resources have become more available for the spreading of these uh, initiatives. You're, uh, there's been a also an increase in uh, culturally relevant and sensitive therapy approaches for working with native Hawaiian peoples. And these, the efficacy of these cultural programs have been shown to be as much as four times more successful than other programs. However, these programs are all are often difficult or are few and far between at the moment, and as a result, uh, it's inconsistent uh, as to whether individuals will be able to receive the needed and appreciated therapy form or modalities as they need it. The, these Native Hawaiian approaches tend to focus far more on the circumstances surrounding the individual than on the individual themselves. And the often described focus is rather than on treating an individual, it's focusing on listening to an individual and empower, empowering that individual instead. Um, much more emphasis on positive psychology than uh, the deficit model that's uh, pervasive in Western therapy approaches. Um, so with that, you know, we see mental health as kind of a uh, um, mental health within the Hawaiian community is often seen as kind of a part of a larger continuum uh, that involves physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being, um, but also touches into our the family and community and the land and the ocean and the sky. One study that I found really interesting uh, was titled Depression and Help Seeking Among Native Hawaiian Women, where researchers did a study looking at how uh, Native Hawaiian women living in uh, what's called a homestead uh, community, uh, essentially a community that is reserved for uh, people that can prove uh, Native Hawaiian heritage. And so these homesteads are usually reserved for um, 
people especially in most starkest financial need as well. And so they wanted to look into the uh, interview these women um, and to look into their attitudes uh, regarding depression, uh, their experience of depression, and their help-seeking attitudes. Now, again, as I mentioned, uh, because these communities do tend to cater to those uh, Hawaiian people most in need, which Hawaiian people being a very, very uh, disproportionately low socioeconomic status, um, this is, you know, um, among the lowest without actually being homeless. And there are plenty of homeless people in Hawaii. As a result, uh, the researchers found that there was a very high prevalence of depressive symptoms um, for the women that they interviewed and studied. Now, the findings of this study were really interesting in that uh, how they conducted it, they offered uh, these women in this Hawaiian homestead community um, first a survey, um, uh, inventory to basically uh, assess for sadness or depressive symptoms. And then the other thing was they trained a handful of women within this community on how to provide interviews for depressive symptoms as well and what they found was in the surveys uh, the women uh, were much more likely to report um, stronger depressive symptoms than those uh, than they were in the interviews now there's a few reasons why you could think this might happen um, one possible being that perhaps the inventories don't fully, uh, perhaps the surveys, the CESD is what they used in this uh, instance, aren't really attuned well to working with a native population. And, you know, it's an inaccurate and that reflects something that's fairly common when trying to apply a... Uh, tool that was developed for white American college students to other populations, uh, one size doesn't fit all for these things. But it could, you know, the measure could be accurate. And simply another factor that they discuss is how um, these women uh, talking to a member of their community who felt uh, too much stigma to accurately describe how difficult the situation was, or they did not feel comfortable fully disclosing uh, their symptoms, which in turn provides some interesting perspectives on the issues that Hawaiian women face. This is kind of compounded again with help seeking for their depressive symptoms in the surveys than they did in the interviews. Again, suggesting there might be some stigma associated there with reaching out for help. But I think the most telling finding of this study was the level of satisfaction for the native Hawaiian women 
with regards to the treatment uh, modality, what kind of help they sought. Those that sought out services with a mental health professional, like a therapist or a counselor, they reported far better satisfaction with spiritual or religious advisors, uh, or I guess as they term it, folk healers, um, that use more traditional Hawaiian uh, approaches to mental health and therapy and connectedness. Um, however, again, these aren't the most accessible means of doing things. Uh, insurance isn't going to pay for all of these uh, things that aren't that don't fit the current Western idea of therapy and mental health services, despite it again being in some cases, far more satisfactory and effective. But one of the great things about these Hawaiian homestead communities is that they provide a very centralized and uh, convenient place for Hawaiian uh, people to be around other people of their same culture and same uh, mentality so that they can bond and build their community together. This is an amazing initiative that uh, combined with several others that are you know, starting from the grassroots, really trying to focus on building the foundations of the community back up again, uh, are able to see small steps by uh, small steps as the Hawaiian community is able to rally around each other and uh, find better health outcomes in general. So in discussing depression, it's important to review what we mean. Um, so I'm going to use the DSM-5. It's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders used by psychologists uh, to diagnose particular uh, illnesses. Um, so I'm going to lay out for you the diagnostic criteria for a particular form of depression called major depressive disorder. Now, there are different forms of depression and different intensities that people can experience. And so I don't want you to kind of use this information to go out and diagnose all your friends and family or yourself. Um, but I, I kind of want you to use this as a uh, source of information that you can think about in your own life and others that maybe something's not right here. Maybe you can reach out and uh, take these as signs that someone needs help. So uh, I'm going to kind of go through a list of the criteria and uh, you know, I want you to kind of, you know, kind of contemplate how you might see that. Um, now you'll expect to see with at least major depressive disorder, uh, at least five of the following symptoms that I identify um, being present for uh, about a two-week period or more. Um, kind of, uh, and, you know, this is a major change or, you know, a significant change from, you know, how they were functioning um, before uh, starting these symptoms. Um now, there are two key ones that I'll, I'll, I'll indicate to you. The first one is 
uh, depressed mood. So that means kind of feeling sad, uh, or empty, or expressing like hopelessness. The other one is a loss of interest or pleasure. So uh, means that they don't take pleasure in, you know, the activities that they would usually enjoy, like their hobbies or sports or family or social gatherings, that kind of stuff. Um, so usually with major depressive disorder, you'll see one or both of those two symptoms. Um, but, you know, other symptoms that you'll want to look for is uh, they might be, uh, you know, someone with this disorder might be getting angry easily, uh, more irritable or frustrated. Another would be uh, drastic changes in like their weight or their appetite. You know, they're eating a lot more or a lot less than they usually will. Um, another being difficulty with sleep, either not getting enough sleep or needing a lot more sleep um, than usually would be expected. Um, another symptom being they have slowed down thinking or speaking or body movements. They're a little bit sluggish. Uh, another being feeling fatigued, uh, you know, a general loss of energy, um, and then another being excessive feelings of worthlessness or guilt. Um, that's really pervasive, like, you know, beyond what would be, uh, seemed normal, um, trouble thinking or concentrating and, uh, difficulty with you know, focusing. And then uh, lastly, it would be uh, a lot of thinking about death or thoughts about suicide or planning or attempting suicide. Um, or you know, even they might say things like, I don't want to be around anymore, or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so you, you'll expect to see, at least with a major depressive disorder, five of those symptoms. Um, and, you know, not explained by, you know, some other medical or psychological or substance uh, use that might otherwise explain what they're experiencing. So, again, for many people with depression, symptoms are uh, pretty noticeable problems to day-to-day -day life. Um, you know, the day-to-day -day activities like work or school or social uh, things. Um, and so people generally might feel miserable or unhappy without really knowing why. So now research uh, suggests that there is a difference in the way that depression, a depression might be manifest between ethnic groups. Now, when looking at depression in Polynesians, you need to consider that Polynesians have a large emphasis on families. And, you know, that's certainly no different for Hawaiians who are, you know, talking about right now, um, for whom, you know, Ohana is a, you know, a central pillar of Hawaiian life. Thus, you know, interpersonal problems like disruptions to group or family harmony or uh, lack of connection to one's family, both you know, immediate or extended, um, really need to be considered as underlying causes for depression, um, but also might uh, need to be considered for things that might be exacerbating or, you know, uh, making the experience of depression uh, harsher for Polynesian than what a white American might experience. 
with that lack of connection to their family. Um, so with that in mind, you know, when Polynesians say things like, you know, I talked uh, less than usual, or I felt lonely, um, people were unfriendly to me, or they dislike me, um, or, you know, things like I'm afraid of my family members, or things like that. those are really big red flags. Those are uh, items that um, you're going to want to talk to you know, them or reach out and check on how things are doing. Um, you know, it's, it might be an uncomfortable conversation, but it can at least provide you with, uh, a starting point to at least open up the discussion to where they might feel comfortable with sharing. It might be difficult. You know, it's, there's a lot of, uh, apprehension as we kind of talked about with sharing our emotions with others, but, um, the more we kind of broach this topic and, you know, we can feel comfortable with our mental health, uh, the more we can see improvements in our individual lives, but our families and our community at large. Again, I, I do want to take this time to thank you for joining me today. Um, I do also want to reemphasize that, you know, I'm not an expert on Hawaiian culture. Uh, this isn't my own culture, although I lived in Hawaii for three years, I only just barely scratched the surface on the uh, incredible spirit of aloha that you'll find there and the love and kindness that is practically unparalleled. Uh, it really does permeate uh, so much of the attitudes and the uh, love that... Uh, everyone shares with everyone there, uh, the respect that people offer. Um, but again, thank you very much for tuning in, and I'll see you guys later. And kakiteano. <laughs>